in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. And you're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. As we look over, I can look at the Capitol right now. We are coming to you from our nation's capital. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. A great meal, a feast, whether it's in the dining room or in the pub. They'll have the Patriots game on, football game on. Thursday night, pretty soon we'll be getting into the baseball playoffs. And then also uh, college football on Saturdays, the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. And also don't forget about their Kay's restaurant, Kay's right there in Woonsocket. Folks, again, repeating big story. We are coming to you from our nation's capital where the focal point here remains on the open border, the problems with immigration. And but I'm not I am cognizant of the fact with um we have some major stories closer to home. One is, in fact, and I was mentioning it, but the medical examiner has positively identified one of the bodies found to be that of former Woonsocket Mayor Susan Menard. So our condolences and thoughts go out to our family, someone without question, a prominent figure, really not just in the really not just in the Blackstone Valley, but all of the state, as a matter of fact, and that is former Mayor Susan Menard. And they have not finalized the identity of the second person, so we're just going to follow on the on the official word on that. So that is obviously big news, and stay tuned to the station for more details regarding that. And on top of that, um, we are also, the big local story is that a judge has said that the truck tolls, the truck tolls have to be down within 48 hours. Now, I also saw that the Providence police have, have ruled a homicide. There was a 75-year-old man killed inside his home on Ethan Street last month. The man believed to be responsible was charged and arraigned in court. So, first, the death did not seem suspicious. The medical examiner was called in, and they determined it was a homicide. They believe the man was followed home that evening, physically assaulted his apartment, died of his injuries. The man responsible for his death has been charged in a range. So, that's why it was not a huge deal. Now, I also, am I seeing that, I think Channel 6 is reporting, I think, that the state is preparing judge rules in favor of trucking industry in the lawsuit with the tolls. Folks, that's major because Governor McKee is not ruling out the cars will be to have to pick up the slack for the trucks. Um, let's see. Where did I... Rhode Island Department of Health has identified one of the two found. Rhode Island prepares for potential arrival of illegals. The Rhode Island Emergency Management Agency said they're working with Governor McKee's office to prepare for the potential arrival of illegals in the ocean state. Our emergency response committee will be prepared. We will get them registered to vote as soon as they arrive. A group of migrants arrived in Martha's Vineyard last week. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said there were two planes carrying 50 Venezuelan migrants. Plans were part of the state relocation program. Transport illegals to sanctuary destinations. Well, I want to tell you, as we're in Washington, uh, and again, if you haven't seen it, we did get a chance to interview Marjorie Taylor Greene, the representative, a little bit earlier. And without question, um, what happened on the vineyard has just dominated here. I mean, that is, it's all anyone is really... It's one of those stories that it literally rocketed across the country. And it's, as I have said, it's easy to understand. And I think that is one of, well, I know that's one of the reasons why it has um, just taken off so much. Is 
just because of that, that it's it's one of those stories that's that's easy to understand. You know, they, they claim in on Martha's Vineyard, as we know, Rhode Island and Mass, uh, no such thing as anyone illegal. Governor McKee has repeatedly said times that illegals would be welcomed in Rhode Island. The people of the state would be more than happy to pay for them. And then all of a sudden, when uh, when that happens, um, then all of a sudden, you know, they think of the the uproar that it caused, the fact that 43 people arrived on the vineyard. So, and, and they immediately shipped them off the vineyard, as a matter of fact. So, without question. So, but that, that story and also uh, the governor of Texas. Now, I also want to mention that, as I, I started to say, the situation with, with President Trump and his family, I, there's too many details. I don't want to just gloss over it. Um, none of it sounds sounds good. These are very serious charges. Uh, there could be more charges coming down. But the New York State is suing the president. I, I just wonder, now you also have the children involved here. That's different. And 222 page filing. And they're referring it to the IRS for criminal prosecution. So I, I don't know enough about if they have responded to that as of yet. But that is obviously big news that has uh, come down today. So, folks, we are here today and tomorrow. And one of the things, obviously, that we have, um, that we have talked about is just what a problem illegal immigration really is. As much as it's a major problem in our state, it's really something that hits all over the country. And so um, we have a guest coming up, uh, Bridget Gabriel, and she is going to be our guest. She's an expert on terrorism. She's also an author, leading terrorism expert, as a matter of fact, provides information analysis of the rise of global Islamic terrorism. And you see her quite a bit. I've seen her on Fox News Channel and others. Uh, but Bridget Gabrielle is an authority on illegal immigration. And folks, it's one of the things that, with an open border, how it truly makes us more of a target uh, by, ha- by having the failed policies that they have for, with the, the Biden administration, by all accounts, as we've said, and you know, you've heard, that it is basically an open border. And, and it leads to that. And you watch, with the amount of people that are coming in, it is absolutely a matter of time before there's going to be some kind of incident. There have been incidents in the past when you have this and you can't really control and that's what it comes down to they have no control who it is that's coming over and that's one of the problems within it's just a matter of time that someone that has other intentions um are just gonna perpetrate let alone so many of them are then ending up in the new york area uh arriving in our area and bridget so, and then, um, and then it's just a matter of time before something is 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 going to happen. So, hello, there we go. <laughs> Trying to get your attention. Okay, she's on her way right here. There she is. My goodness, why don't you get your headphones on and then make sure you're all set. She's right oh, on time and nice and prompt. Fantastic. It is hot up here, isn't it? It is very Ooh. warm, yeah. And You're it is kidding. a little bit more air conditioning But I found the there. perfect spot right to get this air conditioning. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> it is Bridget Gabrielle. So you can put on the headphones if you want. You can hear yourself. Um, first of all, I want to um, get your impression. You're obviously the expert on terrorism. You know, when you think about right now the amount of open border situation that we have in so many thousands of people ending up in New York. Um, if someone want to do us harm, th- this is the perfect recipe. We, we really don't know who's coming into the country. 
now we don't know who's coming into the country and we are being harmed on all levels uh you know Terrorism is not just blowing up people with bombs. Terrorism is having criminal aliens walking our streets, raping our daughters, killing our children, uh, committing crime. Right now, our cities are experiencing major uh, fear and problems across the nation. What is so concerning is the news that came out this morning that we have arrested already 76 terrorists who are on the terror watch list who came through the Mexican border. So if we have 76 terrorists already that we have arrested, how many more do we have that have snuck through the border without us knowing anything about them? Also, the number that we arrested this year the 76 people are more than the last five years combined so the word is out uh john that if you want to come to america all you have to do is get yourself to mexico and then you can come here that's right uh you know there's an employee at the mexican embassy in beirut selling visas for three thousand dollars a visa to mexico because everybody knows all you have to do is buy a visa pay three thousand dollars come to mexico and then you can come to the united states you don't need to go to the embassy you don't need to spend and, you know, thousands of dollars in attorneys doing your paper. If you come cr across illegally into the United States through Mexico, America would roll out the red carpet for you. Mm. They will even pay you for housing, provide you with food, give you medical insurance, take care of you. And you can even find an attorney who will sue the United <laughs> States government to protect your wow. rights. Now, you speak Arabic, French, English, and Hebrew. Is that correct? correct? Now, where did you learn to be able to speak those four languages? I was born and raised in Lebanon, so my mother tongue is Arabic. Okay. My second language is French. Mm. My third language is English. And I learned Hebrew when I went to Israel and lived in Israel as news anchor for World News based wow. out of the Middle East. And, and what was the uh, path that took you to focus on and dwell so deeply into the element of terrorism? My 9-11 happened to me in 1975 when radical Islamists blew up my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble wow. wounded. I, in Lebanon. In Lebanon, wow. in 1975. Lebanon, I, by the way, is a beautiful country. That's right. Beautiful Geographically, country. it's a beautiful country. Yes. It used to be Paris of the Middle East. Yeah. How is we it right now, though? We uh, Right now, it's or? the terrorist hub of it the Middle is. East. Uh. We used to be open-minded, fair, tolerant. We had open borders. We welcomed everybody to come into our country. Wow. Uh, we wanted to share with them the westernization, which we had created in the heart of the Middle East. Unfortunately, those who came into our country did not share our values. Mm. And when they used to talk about transforming our country, we didn't believe them. We refused to read the writing on the wall. My 9-11 happened to me and I ended up living in a bomb shelter after my house was destroyed for seven years of my life in an underground bunker in an 8 by 10 room without electricity, without water and very little food. And that's where I lived from the age of 10 till the age of 17. 10 to 17, you were in a bomb shelter in that's Lebanon? That's right. That's right. What was that like as a young woman growing up? It changes who, your life. Who else was in the bomb shelter? Now you understand why yes. I'm such a passionate who defender of security and freedom. My mother and my father. Okay. We lived on the edge of town. Oh. We owned the property. We lived in a compound where we had rental properties, etc. But everybody who was able to flee fled. My parents and I could not flee. Hmm. So we ended up stuck there. And what, so, what years were you in it? I, I visited Israel, and then you also learn how many people have bomb shelters there. That's right. What years were you, and where were you living in Israel? I was living in Lebanon in mm. a oh. bomb shelter. Okay. So from, but then what you, you mentioned... I moved to Israel yeah. in, 1980, uh, in 1984 okay. and became news anchor for World News. See, when wow. the war started... Living where? Where in Israel? Like Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Mevaseretzion, wow. to be exact. Wow. <laughs> what was that like? Oh, it was amazing. Um, I worked. Got to be on guard, though. Uh, I well, it was less terrorism than Lebanon. Yes, yes. But you know, the Christians in Lebanon were working with Israel because what people don't realize is Lebanon is a republic, exactly like the United States of America. Mm. Just like Israel, we elect our representative in a sea of contrast in the Middle East. You know, when you look at the Middle East, other than Lebanon, which used to be majority Christian country, yep. and Israel, which is a Jewish state, the rest of the Middle East is uh, uh, Islamic theocracies. You can identify every country by one man, one dictator, or one royal family. Mm. So... What we did in Lebanon, the mistake that we did is we did not declare it as a Christian nation like Israel declared Israel as a Jewish nation. Yep. 
And because we were so fair and tolerant and we wanted everybody to have equal representation, the radicals very soon took over the government. Mm. So now Lebanon is like Venezuela. Oh. Uh, the terrorists elected and the radicals elected themselves into the government. Wow. Hezbollah, which is a proxy army of Iran, literally runs the country. Mm. So now our concern about the border, because here we are at the Federation for Immigration Reform, yep. And talking about border security, Hezbollah has a command center in the tri-states in South America. Hezbollah uh -oh. is working with the drug cartels, teaching them tunnel building technology. So the tunnels that we are seeing right wow. now between Mexico and the United States is, is technology that has been perfected by Hezbollah between Lebanon and Israel building tunnels. So it's a win-win for the drug cartels and the terrorists. The drug cartels can smuggle drugs into the United States and the Hezbollah can smuggle terrorists. So to put this into contrast, into context, when you look at Iran building a nuclear weapon and Iran yep. shouts death to America, death to Israel. And God knows if you run into a confrontation with Iran or not. Right now, Iran has already smuggled its operatives into the United States. Mm. So when you look at the border, these are the things you need to consider. Mm. What would be the situation in Israel right now if they had the border policies that the United States has? Well, they're very smart and they have to survive and that's why they don't have the border yes. policies they have. I mean, I'm sure if you visited Israel, you went to northern Israel, you stood in Metula, yes. they showed you the Lebanon, oh, here's yeah. where the terrorists live. Right. Um, so, and you saw the border and you saw right. the walls that they they're built. very cautious. Yes, the border oh, and the walls. Absolutely. Very cautious of who it is that comes in and out. Absolutely. Right now, how has the situation changed? over the past 18 months, say, compared to the years of the Trump administration? Oh, it's unbelievable. The numbers are staggering. The number of, of I mean, we've got, what, almost 5 million people estimated in the United States yes. right now. Yep. Uh, we've got about 4 million that we know of, and we believe about a million who came through that we don't even know who they are. Mm. So 5 million people, that's larger than the population of, of 22 different states in the United States that does not have that many population. Take, for example, uh, Alaska, Montana, Wyoming, You're Nebraska, right. South Dakota, North Dakota, yeah. Maine, Vermont. I think I it's mean, even higher now. It's even higher than yeah. that. So when you look at the single adults who have come into the United States, single adults, not family units, we've got 2.5 million people almost who are single adults that have come into the country. Do you know that our active duty military personnel are... 1,357,000 and something. So we have now 180% more single adults who came to the United States than uh, active military, than standing military. Almost double our standing military. Mm. This is cr a crisis. This is what America is facing. And that's why we have a petition on our website titled Stop the Invasion. I encourage you to go to our website, actforamerica.org. Act for america.org uh, sign the petition stop the invasion it's on the home site it's been signed by 3.5 million people so far as of now make sure your elected officials hear from you we have a, a pre-written email written for you um, once you go in you click on take action you enter your address and your zip code we connect you with your elected officials we give you the names of your elected officials on the federal level and the state level we have a pre-written email. You don't even have to think what to write. With one click of a button, it is sent to them. We have a petition written for you. One click, it's sent to them. We have a social media post prepared for you, for Facebook, for Twitter. With one click, you can post it on your social media, which will also tag your elected officials. You can call them on the phone. We give you their phone numbers. We have a pre-written script. You don't even have to think what to say on the phone. All you can do is read What do you it. think of the elected officials that allow sanctuary states to exist? Uh, they need to be voted out. And, you know, we have the elected officials we deserve. Because a lot of people on our side sit on the sidelines, John, and think, well, what is my vote going to count? What is right. my voice going to count? That's I'm not right. going to call my elected official. It's yep. a waste of my breath. No, it's not a waste of your breath. You need to be engaged. You need to be active. I talk to elected officials all the time. And they say to me, all they need to hear from on a top issue is 40 to 50 people on the federal level.
And here's the science behind the numbers. They believe one phone call or an email are representative of a thousand people. They believe if one person writes an email or makes a phone call, he or she are representing 1,000 couch potatoes who feel the same way but are too lazy to make sure. a phone call or yep. send an email, yet they vote on election day. That translates to 40 to 50,000 voters on election day. Mm. So your voice has power. I'm sure we have more than 40 people listening to yes. us right now on the yes. radio. Wow. Go to actforamerica.org. Actforamerica.org. That's right. Sign that petition Sign to stop the, the invasion. Petition. Make your voice heard. Your voice voice represents 1,000. Share our emails and action alerts with your friends. Tell your friend, can you imagine if you just send it to five of your friends? That's 50, that, that's, that's 50,000 people each, the representation. That's quarter of a million people for your elected official. Your voice matters. If, if our elected officials are not listening, it's because we're not making our voice heard. And here's an important point, John. Go ahead. We need to make sure that we call, and this is why people tell me, why do you have Democrats on your list as well? You know, we send the email to the Democrats and the Republicans combined, and we, we, with the script, you can call the Democrats and Republicans combined. But here's why it is as important to call the Democrats. The Republicans are mostly on your side. You need to call the Democrats so you can give cover to those Democrats to go to their leadership and say, look, I heard from 10,000 constituents. Sure, right. If you want me to lose the election in two months, mm. you know, I, I need to I like I can vote, give, vote give for them you. Cover. Give them cover. You need to give them an excuse to abstain yes. or not vote. And be able for the leadership to understand. Your phone calls to your Democratic elected officials are as important, yes. if not more, right. than your phone calls to your Republican officials. Bridget, absolutely excellent. You're very, Thank very you. captivating. Thank you for Thank joining us. Thank you very much. It's right. a pleasure. Give the website one more time. ActForAmerica.org. Right. We named the organization Act for America. Not think about America, hope for America, wish for America, or pray for America. But Act for America. Thank you for joining us. Thank you Great very to much. see you. Thank Folks, you. again, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 .9 FM. Now, right now, it's 129. Just, again, another cue to the studio that uh, we're going to be taking a break at 143. Sit down right there. Is our next handsome uh, guest. Who's up? She left her uh, handbag. Folks, again, this portion of the program... Have a seat right there. Brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Joining us right now, folks, as we continue our broadcast from Washington, D.C., he is the Director of Investigations Immigration Reform Law Institute, and it is Matt O'Brien. Matt, thank you for taking the time on this uh, uh, beautiful day to join us on the John DePietro Show. Thank you. Matt, uh, I'd like to start off. You are with the Law Institute what can you tell us? Uh, does the Law Institute have an official position yet? We're hearing about all these lawsuits that they're going to go towards Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for flying the whatever term you want to use, migrants, illegals, to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, would you, is there some sort of a legal problem here? Uh, there's a couple of legal problems with the lawsuit that's been filed. the lawsuit, okay. For, first if you don't mind touching on them. Sure. First of all, uh, a 1983 claim requires that action be taken under color of law before you can sue over it. And uh, a 1985 claim, which were the two major claims put forth in the complaint, require uh, a conspiracy, uh, none of which has happened. So this, this is just to, to make politics. And I think what they're trying to do, it's filed in the First Circuit, uh, which is I'm sure your listeners know, being in the First Circuit is, is extremely liberal. Um, and so I think what they're trying to do is use this to score political points. What can you tell us about, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, Director of Investigations, Immigration, and Reform Law Institute? Sure. So what I do is I, I, I function like the uh, civilian equivalent of an inspector general. We look at uh, public records. Uh, we do FOIA requests. We do public records requests. We look at information that's uh, gathered in uh, public contracting websites to try and make sure that the people who are charged with enforcing the immigration laws and applying immigration policies are doing so according to the law and doing it fairly and correctly. And how much abuse and fraud is taking place out there with the illegals that come in? Oh, there's a, there's a massive amount. I mean, the fact is, if you're an illegal alien at all, you're engaging in fraud, you need to do so in order to get employment, to get identity documents, and all those kind of things. 
Um, I was an immigration judge for a while. Uh, I would say 95 plus percent of the asylum cases that I were seeing, was seeing when I was a judge uh, were ones that had no basis, in fact, whatsoever. Um, you know, unfortunately, the system as we have it set up just seems to invite fraud and we don't do enough to prosecute it and punish it. People ask that. How come when they catch someone, they're not deported? I get asked that every single day. Well, unfortunately, uh, successive administrations, both Republican and Democrat, have been using the immigration law to cater to constituencies or perceived constituencies in order to try and buy votes. Uh, but the fact is that any administration, Democrat or Republican, is supposed to be applying the law as it's written by Congress in order to protect the borders, the national security interests, and the economic interests of the United States. And that just isn't happening. And it's a bizarre thing because... This doesn't happen in most other areas of law. Most people, if they think about it, can't find any other area of law where people think it's okay to just ignore the law because they don't like it. Now, what about, um, what, what can people do? People don't know what to do that they learn that there are illegals living in their area. What legally could they do? Um, you know, the problem is that if you try and report them to ICE, ICE doesn't have enough people. It doesn't have enough detention bed right. space. And if you're in a, a, a situation like we are now with Team Biden, they're not going to respond to the complaints anyways. Correct. Uh, so the best thing that people can do is to call and write to their legislators and tell them that they're dissatisfied with the situation and that the border being wide open like it is is making them feel unsafe. And what about when you hear people say... Uh, that illegals pay taxes? Uh, well, the fact is that sometimes they do, but they use so much in services. Um, there's, a, a report, yes. uh, there's a report that I wrote when I was with FAIR before I became an immigration judge, along with my colleague Spencer Rayleigh, who is now the uh, director of research yeah, at yeah, FAIR, yeah. I know on, the, uh, on the cost of uh, illegal immigration. And the fact is that if you have people that do not have marketable job skills, who are living in the shadows and working for lesser wages because they're not authorized to work, they're inevitably going to consume more public services, even if it's just using the bus more often That's than right. they're able to pay for. You know, and what about the costs? Illegals come in and then they're using the public schools. When you add up uh, a, an illegal child that goes K through 12, what, what, what is the cost that they're not paying the city taxes on that? Uh, no, they're not paying enough to cover the costs of no. the education, typically because there's a, a language problem. Uh, I grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts, about, oh, yeah. uh, about okay. 45 minutes away from Providence. Yep. And uh, my mother was a public school teacher. And a uh, couple of years before she retired, she had entire classes of students where not one of the students could speak English. How? And so, well, they were all children who had immigrated from someplace else. And the thing is, it wasn't like she had a uniform class with Spanish speakers. She had Serbians, Croatians, uh, people from Africa, people from South America and Central America. And so the first thing that she would have to do before she could teach them anything else is teach them English. And, of course, that's costly. Uh, it requires special materials. Uh, it requires special skills. Uh, frequently, they need an ESL teacher to be involved, and uh, those things all drive up the cost. But more importantly, if you have a mixed class where uh, it's not 100% non-English speakers, but it's, say, 60 or 80%, and the rest are U.S. students, the U.S. students wind up being held behind while their classmates are trying to learn English. And that's not fair to, to people who are trying to get an education in the public schools whose families have been here and been paying into the system for decades. Mm. You know, and on top of that, if they also, and I know this is going to sound, you know, maybe it doesn't mean to sound mean. We're talking facts here. But it also, let's be honest, it throws off the entire testing system and the ability of the class because if you have children that it's not, you know, when I entered first grade and there were 25 of us, some read better than others, some spelled better than others, but we all spoke English and grew up in the area. What does it do to the whole educational system when you have this influx of people that are, they're learning English? So they're starting at a completely different place. Well, what it does is, is it delays the entire educational system so that you have people operating at a, a lower level. And if the objective is to get these students through in the typical amount of time, most people graduate high school somewhere between 16 and 18 years and then think about moving on to, to post-secondary education. You're producing people that are, are not at that standard. 
but you're also putting people out into the, the workplace, into the economic market that don't have the communication skills necessary to hold basic jobs, much less professional jobs, or for that matter, even, I mean, in Lynn, where I grew up, the General Electric plant was the major employer. Yeah. And if you were going to get in their apprenticeship program and become a machinist, you needed to be able to communicate in English so right. you could learn the material. Folks, again, our guest is uh, Matt O'Brien. Uh, Matt, also, what about we've heard that during the course of COVID with the amount of all these loans that we're giving out, situations like that are just ripe for abuse, for fraud and waste. Uh, yeah, they are. And I mean, if, if you stop and think about it, if you're an employer who is collecting payroll tax uh, rebates based on a bunch of illegal alien employees, um, you know, there's a possibility that you're collecting money at a higher rate than you paid into the system. Uh, you know, particularly if you have a bunch of uh, of uh, under-the-table employees. And if you're a business that's failing, there's certainly an incentive there to engage in fraud to try and get money. And then what's even more frightening is... Uh, you know, as an immigration judge, I was told that I needed to get vaccinated, and it was strongly suggested that I wouldn't be working anymore if I didn't have a vaccination. Oh. And yet there were illegal aliens appearing in front of me in immigration court all day that nobody had ever asked them to get any kind of vaccination. Wow. It just defies logic. It does. Now, before I let you go, what, why is it that you were terminated? Well, apparently I was not granting enough bogus asylum cases. I had one of the highest oh. rates of, of asylum denial in the country. It was about 96%. But I have to qualify that. I wasn't denying these cases because I didn't like the people or because I wanted to deny them. A lot of them seemed like they were very nice people with tragic stories. But the fact is, my job as a judge was to apply the law as written by Congress. And these were people who did not qualify for asylum. And what really upsets me about this is there's a lot of garbage clogging the system. You have bogus cases. I had one woman, it took her ages to get into uh, the immigration court. She was from Ethiopia, had been forced to undergo FGM. I gladly granted her asylum. She qualified for it clearly under the law, and it was sure. a pleasure to give it to her. Uh, but there's so many cases now from people that, that have circumstances that don't even come close to qualifying under the statute that it, it's going to delay the immigration courts for decades. It will take forever to catch up on the backlog. Folks, he is Judge Matt O'Brien. Judge, great to uh, talk to you. Thank you for coming by the John Thank Beacon you very show. much. It was a pleasure. All right, folks, there he is, Judge Matt O'Brien. I want to say good afternoon, uh, one and all. Again, we continue our broadcast from D.C. It's 139 on this Wednesday, on this very busy uh, news Wednesday. We're going to be uh, taking a break. I'm going to send it back to the studio in just a couple moments. But again, we are coming to you from our nation's capital. It's the John DePietro Show. We have much more. We're here today. We are here tomorrow. And this portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Folks, a great meal is waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. I also want to remind you about our friends at Competition Shooting Supplies. Stop in and see our guy, John Francis. Thank you, Matt. John Francis, Competition Shooting Supplies, 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. John is the greatest, proud factory authorized dealer, dealing precision, Beta C Mag, Glock. They stock an assortment of durable products, trusted brands, 100 round capacity drum magazines, pistols, competition shooting supplies. They also buy, sell, and trade guns. Check out the selection new and used firearms, shotguns, pistols rifles shop with my gun guy john francis at competition shooting supplies 435 benefit street in pawtucket stop in and see john well folks again uh, you're listening to the john DePietro show on am 1380 and 99.9 .9 fm this portion of our show is brought to you by yankee tree now we're almost you're seeing some hurricanes and tropical storms why not get those branches on a tree near you trimmed do what i did call yankee tree 401-439-6028 the tree trimming experts based out of lincoln yankee tree service fully insured tree removal company with a licensed arborist which makes a huge difference tree removal stump grinding tree pruning emergency service bucket truck service Yankee Tree Service. They get right up in the bucket. 439-6028. 401-439-6028 for Yankee Tree Service. So at 141, we're going to be taking a break in just about two minutes and send it back. 
I want to um, just remind you of the, the big news of the day, and there's a lot of it, actually. One is, tragically, the body of former mayor Susan Menard has been identified. A political legend whose work speaks for itself. Our thoughts and prayers and condolences continue not only with her family and friends, but the people who were very dear to her, who served with her. Also, the judge has ruled the truck tolls are coming down. The trucking firms win the federal lawsuit. Folks, there's so many things wrong with that. From the fact that what they did to the trucking industry, they were not on solid legal ground. When you think about that, that was years now that they've had to deal with it since 2018, those truck tolls. It turns out the judge has ruled that's exactly what the trucker said they need to come down. Now all eyes turns to will Governor McKee to try to make up the deficit turn to passenger vehicles. He issued a statement saying at this time they're not looking at passenger vehicles. That's not that's not very reassuring. At this time, we're not looking at passenger vehicles. Folks, we're going to break in just 30 seconds. We're going to send it back to the station and uh, the great Jeff Gamach. Folks, again, it's John DePietro. We are in our nation's capital. Our topic and the main topic you heard of the guest is illegal immigration, how much it's affecting the country, how much it's affecting our region, and more. We're going to continue our broadcast tomorrow. Right now, we're going to send it back, back to the studio with Jeff Gamach. War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. to the John DePietro Show. And then you write a uh, big piece about who Brett Smiley has to thank. And, and I'm just confused. It's Emily Croswell. But why on Twitter? What, what's, what's with Emily Ward? Why does she? What, what am I missing here? Is it is the same person. It is. It is the same. It's the same exact person. Ward is, I believe, her mother's name. Oh, um, okay. and so, and so that's all it, it is. So she, she's actually Emily Kroll and I, I don't know, I, I can't quite explain why she occasionally uses her, her mother's okay. name. I don't know um, if there was something that I'd missed in the dynamic. She was, uh, obviously with the a Lord's administration, but you're right. She's really the one that pushed seemingly Brett Smiley over the top. Yeah. You know, all campaigns, as you know, you know, there, there are, there are people who, you know, obviously up front, it's the candidate, right? That's who wins and loses these races. But behind the scenes, there's always a handful of people in any campaign that kind of, you know, just whether it's running the campaign completely, can write the ship, as you know, can kind of argue and fight with the press and, yeah. you know, get their, get, get their candidates coverage. 
and, and you know, what I wrote about is Emily Crowell, who, who, you know, 34 years old person who, you know, very kind of unconventional, uh, uh, you know, upbringing. She's got you know sleeve of tattoos. Twenty nine tattoos. Oh my God, uh, is not somebody who you you know. That's not normally what you see. No. you know, in the kind of uh, very you know prim and proper kind of campaign world. Um, you know, came up through, went to URI, and then goes works for Jack Reed for a little while, and then you know lands a job with Mayor Lorza, and that's when I got to know her because I was covering the mayor you know pretty closely, and what what I was always struck by then was just the kind of the fierce loyalty that she showed to Alorza, even when you could tell you, you know, she, she disagreed with kind of what maybe the approach that he was taking. You know, she's the one that would call you and yell at you and tell you, you know, you're being unfair. And, you know, again, spinning the press, that's part of their job. What she has grown into, particularly with Brett Smiley, is, you know, she's kind of the, uh, she was the center of the entire operation. You know, even as people were jumping ship a little bit and were saying, oh, Gonzalo Cuervo's coming on strong. You know, she was the one that kind of it pushed Brett Smiley to uh, to stay very positive in that race. Remember, not once did he go negative at all against his opponents. Um, and now she's the person behind the scenes who's organizing everything, the staffing search. She's going to likely be the chief of staff to, um, to Brett Smiley. So, you know, they're, they're very different people. She's again, kind of wears her heart on her sleeve, literally tattoos all over the place. Brett Smiley's this, you know, kind of elite, uh, you know, well-educated, wealthy guy, but they work very well together. I think she sees the, you know, the chessboard that is Providence politics pretty well. And I wanted to kind of reflect that because, again, you don't always hear. You hear about the candidates. You don't always hear about the people who get them there. You also, um, <clears throat> Dan McGowan, you wrote a lot and in, in broken down the, the politics in, in Providence right now. And uh, this is going to be an interesting dynamic with who Brett Smiley is going to have to deal with as the head of the Providence City Council. Yeah, so Rachel Miller, who is, mm. uh, who's a, you know, represents Federal Hill, the council, over there, and she is a confirmed Democratic Socialist, right? She's a what uh, was supportive uh, right after the George Floyd um, murders, uh, murder, you know, for defunding the police or re, you know, reinvesting, whatever, however you describe it, um, is as far left as you can be, pretty much, um, in the city of Providence. Uh, and you know, Brett Smiley ran this very moderate. Um, campaign that was you know, generally pro-police. I mean, if you think his campaign Absolutely. speech, oh, his, yeah. in his campaign speech, first person he thanked was Emily. The second group was, was public safety workers, That's right. uh, which you don't normally hear in Providence, at least in, in recent years. So there's going to be some friction there. I will say one of the things about Rachel Miller compared to, I would say, a lot of the other, you know, sort of younger progressives who have been getting elected. She's a pretty substantive person. She comes, she works for, uh, you know, a workforce group that that's kind of aligned with the laborers. She's one of these people that's going to be more interested in, you know, uh, for example, as the Superman building, you know, deal comes together. She's going to be the kind of person that wants to make sure that, you know, Providence residents have the ability to get those jobs, things like that. I think more so than, you know, doing anything particularly radical. You're not going to see the police defunded in Providence. Brett Smiley's not going to let that happen. Mm. But they will um, they will clash on, on, on certain issues. And, uh, and I, I think Brett Smiley was hoping for... I don't know the polite way to say this, but I think he was hoping for someone he could control a little more. Yeah. Um, you know, as the council president, but Rachel Miller got out there, boy, she consolidated votes. I mean, look, some of these people still have general election opponents, but yesterday she got 10 of them to essentially sign on to supporting her. She has wow. to keep that team together. You can't get it. You know, you don't get it until January, but what usually what happens uh, once people are willing to sign their name onto something, unless, you know, there's a dramatic change, like somebody gets arrested or something like that, uh, it does look like you're going to have you know, basically the furthest left city council president in the history of the city. Wow. Dan McGowan, talk a little bit about the, and one of them you uh, talk about, he's like the most sought after now, either a campaign manager or a political operative in the city. 
Yeah, these are the, the Royas brothers who, yeah. who, who have a, a remarkable uh, <laughs> kind of remarkable uh, uh, so background story family-wise. They, they grew up in a really tough situation with parents that really struggled with addiction. Uh, I believe they were... And these kids were like out on their own while they were in high school, uh, wow. living on their own. So interesting story. What's funny about this is that Jason Royce, who's kind of a campaign operative, yeah. uh, you know, he, he ran a bunch of campaigns. He briefly was involved, uh, ran the Gonzalo Cuervo campaign and he left. Uh, he ran for council four years ago. And uh, came from relatively close this time around. He said, you know what? I don't really want, I actually want to be kind of a behind the scenes player, so to speak. So my brother's going to run. And his brother, Justin, uh, yes. actually actually went out and won the seat. Uh, and so these two brothers are going to be really influential players, I think, in the city. This is the seat that for, for listeners out there, you might have heard of Nick Narducci, who's been around the right. council for a really long time. Uh, he's term limited. So in that north end of Providence, it'll be Justin Royce. And then his brother, Jason, ran, I think, four four campaigns wow. to, to elect city council members. So this is like that new face of the left in Providence, uh, uh, for sure. He was with, who was the rep that was briefly up there and then got uh, got knocked out, um, who, whose name escapes me? But, you know, the whole thing that said uh, the files cabinets filled with bottles. Oh, Laura Walsh. That's Laura right. Walsh. That's he right. He worked with her, I believe. That he did. So. He ran. He, I think he ran one of her campaigns. That's right. And and also interestingly, despite being you know a bleeding heart progressive, yeah. um, Jason Royce, the campaign guy, did uh, a lot of work for um, uh, 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 Barbara Ann Fentonfung uh, oh, to, wow. to, to beat Speaker Mattiello a couple of years mm. ago, uh, and that was more of a you know let me rub it in the face of the speaker. But, uh, you know, has showed an ability to, 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 to do this. And, you know, the thing about this is, is when you when you start to get that kind of that name, you know, value, you, be, you become incredibly important in the city because, again, you know, two or three people on a city council that can shift the entire landscape of, of power there. And that's what you have. This city council, not just the council president, this city council is much further left than you thought, mm. you, you thought the council was filled with lefties. Yeah. Now it's going to be way further uh, come January. Rachel Miller, it's hard to believe. Now, folks, also in the Boston Globe, uh, Dan McCowan, how do you think the CD2 race is, is kind of starting to come into play? Uh, Mayor Funk picked up, I, you know, any endorsement he can get is positive. Kevin McCarthy, boy, that story in Axios, they are fully committed to try to help Funk get over the finish line against. Seth Magaziner, and I, I just don't know if Magaziner has talking points enough that I, I just don't think they match who Mayor Fung is and how who people know him to be. Yeah, I mean th that's the entire question here, and and you know everybody wants to go back and run that that kind of 2006 Sheldon Whitehouse versus Link Chafee kind of race. I feel like. First of all, 16 years ago, um, and it what you could argue because people could understand it deeply. Remember, you're in the war. You know, G George Bush was deeply, deeply unpopular here, yes. um, and and he was the president, right? Uh, unlike right now, where you're where you're trying to link Alan Fung to you know Donald Trump and the certainly Kevin McCarthy, who is still there and will probably be the next speaker, but. It's a little hard. It's a little further removed. It's a little hard to believe when you, if anybody's ever met Alan Fung, you don't think of him as a Donald Trump Republican no. by any means. So I think that they're listening to what, presumably, what polling tells them that independents, you know, as we know, independents strongly uh, have been strongly concerned with the, the kind of the Trump agenda. So I think they're trying to move people right here, uh, you know, right along. But this is going to be a really close race, no matter how well or how poorly either of them run their races, right? I think it, it ends up being, you know, a three, four point race, probably no matter what. I tend to agree with you on this one. I, I, you know, first of all, he's going to, Fung will win, will, will almost certainly win Cranston. Oh, yeah. If you can do well in Warwick, where he has yeah. in the past, it's really hard to lose yeah. the rest of the, you know, to, 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 for the rest of the district, uh, for, for, for Seth Magaziner to kind of catch up. And so 
I still think Mag- uh, uh, Fung is in an excellent place. The only thing I could think of is, you know, he just has to avoid, Fung has to just avoid kind of stepping in it, right? He just yeah. has to, don't make too many mistakes, you know, try, he's going to, def- we're all going to be pushing him to ask questions about national politics. He's going to need to probably deflect for a long time. And I'm sure we'll be, a, you know, the reporters will be critical and how come you don't answer questions? The strategy here, though, is very clear. One wants to run a very localized campaign. That's Fung. One wants to run a very nationalized campaign. That's Excellent. Magaziner. That's right. Yes. So that, that's what folks, it is. Folks, you hear me mention it, Roadmap and Dan McGowan. Uh, and we have the, the winner uh, from last week, which was uh, Gina Catalano. Yes. Um, and, a listener of yours. Of course. And how can people sign up, folks? It arrives in your inbox. And it has all links to all the top stories uh, in the globe, including, obviously, the uh, tragic situation happened in Woodsocket with the oh, former yeah. mayor and then all the top stories, what happened the other night at Way of Law Library. Dan McGowan, right now, if you'd be so good to extend that offer to anyone who's listening. Very simple. And before I do, uh, as you mentioned, this contest, um, you know, we had more than 500 entries for the primary. And it was just your fun kind of pick them, just like you do for Sunday football. We're going to do the same exact thing in the general election. So we'll have that out in the next couple of weeks. Prizes, you know, we give away tote bags. Uh, very simple. If you want to get Roadmap, you get it free every weekday morning right in your inbox sometime around 8 a.m. Just send me a blank email. You don't have to write the subject line, anything. I'll know what it is to rinews at globe.com. rinews at globe.com. I'll sign you up. You'll start getting it first thing tomorrow morning. Folks, he's Dan McGowan. Dan, great job as always, and we'll talk to you again. See you out there, John. Thanks. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care, urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine, diagnostic treatment service, AtMed Urgent Care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals. They're a cost-efficient healthcare alternative to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear Antibody infusions. WNRI Winsocket. W260DC. WNRI.